Hello, you're listening to On Israeli Nal Monitor. I'm Ben Kaspid from Tel Aviv. Did the Israeli police illegally hack the phones of uh, unsuspecting citizens? According to a series of reports in the Calcalist Financial Daily, the answer is a resounding yes. The paper has published a list of senior government officials, mayors, social activists, and journalists who were allegedly targeted in an uh, unauthorized operations using Pegasus and other spyware developed by Israeli cyber warfare companies such as NSO. It takes, a, it takes quite a lot to shock Israelis, but these revelations have shattered what little trust Israelis, Israelis still had in the institutions of state in general and in the police and prosecutor's office in particular. In Israel, as in Israel, the reports were immediately translated in, into a juicy political scandal, with fans of former Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu demanding that his corruption uh, trial be shut down because the alleged hacking targeted some close associates of his and at least one state witnesses against him. While newspaper headlines were comparing the Israeli police to the uh, late and unlamented East German uh, Stasi and calling Israel a police state, a preliminary investigation by police, prosecutors, and uh, representatives of the Mossad and the Shin Bet security agencies did not find evidence to support most of the newspaper's claims. Right now, the situation is that everything is denied and the formal reports are saying it is fake, false. But the storm has also generated discussion of how states in the cyber age can balance the right to privacy and civil and human rights with their need to fight terror, organized crime, and even uh, pandemics such as uh, COVID-19. To try and answer these questions, On Israel hosts uh, Professor Anat Ben-David, who can uh, best be described as an internet historian. She's a digital communications researcher, co-founder of the Open University's Media and Information Laboratory, and an associate professor in the Department of Sociology, Political Science, and Communications. Her studies focus on the history and geopolitics of the web, the social and political implications of digital platforms and the mechanisms used to spread incitement and shape gender-related discourse, Professor Ben-David joins us shortly. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Hagedorn, and I'm the State Department correspondent at El Monitor. And I'm Joe Snell, I'm El Monitor's video editor. Let's admit it, this past year has been difficult to stay on top of the news and sift through what's accurate and what's misleading. Let Al Monitor help you. If you care about the Middle East and North Africa, you should consider listening to Al Monitor's audio series On the Middle East with Andrew Parasoliti and Amber and Zaman, and On Israel with Ben Caspi. You can now watch our newest video podcast, Reading the Middle East with Gilles Capel. You can subscribe to these series on your favorite podcast platforms. And through a host of free daily and weekly newsletters, we offer a range of perspectives with the highest journalistic standards. You can subscribe to these newsletters at almonitor.com. 
As an award-winning media service headquartered in Washington, D.C., Al Monitor has a network of over 160 contributors around the world. So if you haven't done so already, be sure to visit almonitor.com, where you can find all of these newsletters and podcasts along with first-class reporting and analysis. I'm happy to welcome here to our podcast uh, uh, my friend and colleague, Professor Anat Ben-David. Shalom, Professor. Shalom, Ben. Thank you for having me on your show. And thank you for joining us. Uh, let's start with an easy question. What do you think of the offensive cyber tools that enable deep invasions of people's uh, personal space? Should a police force whose uh, primary role is uh, to protect the public be allowed to use uh, such aggressive tools? And how would you limit uh, their use, uh, if after all? I think cyber attack tools like NSO's uh, Pegasus are unconventional weapons. Their use deeply undermines a large number of human rights, and no state authority should be allowed to use them on their citizens in democratic regimes, or in any regime for that matter. I believe the controversy around Israel's policies of Pegasus is misguiding the public. Most of the speculations regard the question whether or not the police had been authorized by court orders to use Pegasus, but no one denies that the police had used these tools from as early as 2013. To me, this is the greatest and most concerning revelation from this affair. One, could, one should keep in mind that even if court orders have authorized the hacking of citizens and public figures' phones with Pegasus, this has been done through a deep bending or an over-creative interpretation of Israeli law, as there is no law that specifically permits or regulates such invasive use by any authority. So while everyone is arguing about court orders, there seems to be a quiet consensus that the fact that the police had used Pegasus as a policing tool and this is a fact no one denies, is legitimate. I would like to urgently question this legitimacy. And I view this as a direct assault on Israel's definition as a democracy. It's, it's so complex and uh, you, know, you, have, you have reasons for, for each side. So, so let's, let's go on and dive into it because uh, you know, once upon a time, judges were uh, required just to authorize uh, wiretapping. Yeah, yeah. People uh, were used to speak on the, on the telephone and, and the police uh, listened and, and, and taped it. Today, the matter has become much more complex because sophisticated technology can simply suck out of your phone everything, your, your innermost thoughts and conversations and beliefs and habits. And in light of this uh, complexity, is it even possible to carry out regulatory oversight by judges or other mechanisms on the, on the, the use of these tools? So to me, this is also a cause for concern as what will most likely happen after the controversy is settled is that the Israeli parliament will legislate a new law permitting the police and other state institutions to use such, such spyware. Some of the Israeli civil society organizations who have monitored Israel's use of surveillance technologies in the past years support the idea of regulation, as this would set the boundaries of legitimacy, define checks and balances, and also establish new kinds of oversight mechanisms that would prevent misuse of these technologies. 
But to me, and perhaps also to a minority of experts working in the field, legislation cannot be a solution. This would be a civic defeat, an acknowledgement that governing by surveillance is the new imperative that governments must use to fight all sorts of governance problems, be it terrorism or crime, while this logic penetrates how we think about citizenship at large. Spying on citizens has vast implications on our democratic foundations that extend beyond security and crime. It fundamentally redefines the social contract between citizens and the state as based on supervision and fear and not trust. It may undermine how we think about free will, equality, voting, journalism, protests, and all other forms that define the relationship between citizens and the state in modern democracies. Yes, but you know what? I will challenge this, uh, what you just said, in a different way. Because, uh, because let's see what's your opinion on, on about the following argument. Every action we take on social media and uh, digital, digital platforms is recorded. Every like, every post, every website we surf, everything we come in to go out, every news item we read, every video we watch, every purchase, every anything. Facebook knows a lot more about us than NSO does. And you know I'm, you know I am right. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying Facebook, but it's the same with, with Instagram and with TikTok and with Twitter and with whatever. So what's the problem with so-called spyware? Because, you know, the social media, they, they collect everything to sell it. To sell it in order that, that, that you know, the, 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 the huge concerns and, and, and firms will sell us merchandise. The government, if it will be regulated, is doing it to protect life. You know, a lot, many lives are being saved on a daily basis, at least in Israel, uh, by the Shabak and other uh, security forces through these, uh, these tools. So what, what can, can you say about this kind of, uh, of uh, reason or, or whatever, or argument? Okay, so, to, so the question you're asking me now is, is what you're actually doing is pulling the what about Facebook cards. Why so Facebook yes cases. and government no? This is yeah, so um, yeah, and, and we've seen this argument coming up every time we are alarming against other state surveillance in our, uh, you know, the like new measures that we, we find in our everyday lives. And um, people who know me, you know, uh, know that I would be the last person defending the logic of surveillance capitalism, this regime of surveillance in exchange for digital services that we are also used to accepting whenever we use our phones or computers. And this logic has set such a low barrier to understanding human rights in the digital age that it, we must simply reject it as the baseline from which surveillance or state surveillance should be accepted. Over the past decades, there has been a power balance shift between states and technology, technology giants. In the 20th century, nation states had the power to manage the populations and territories through knowing their citizens. They had the capacity and the exclusivity to collect data about citizens and act upon that data to both govern and protect citizens and their rights. It's not just security, it's also protection of rights. So this balance has changed as tech giants now know more about each of us than any nation state does. And nation states are attempting to regain their lost power by getting hold of more data and more surveillance technologies. This is a slippery slope. Tech giants are collecting information, as you said, 
to sell us personalized ads. They're not accountable to citizens. They set the terms of use and act upon them without oversight or separation of powers. When states adopt these practices, they're not doing it for selling ads, but for controlling people's rights. So without proper checks and balances, this adoption can eventually lead to a democratic decline, which I think is the case in Israel's use of state surveillance technologies. Having that said, there is one difference between tech giants and state surveillance, and it is the principle of consent. I may not like that Facebook or Google collect everything I do online, but I know they are doing that. As a customer, I still have a right to decide not to use these services. With spyware such as Pegasus, I'm not even aware that I am being tracked. I also don't have any ability to ask not to be followed or to stop using these services. When surveillance becomes entrenched in the social contract between the state and its citizens, I cannot simply opt out. So if I may follow up questions, what do you mean when you say checks and balances? You're talking about consent, but it's impossible when you're talking about fighting terror or crime or organized crime. So don't you believe a judge uh, that, you know, and, you know, when we're talking about these, uh, these cyber tools, we are talking about a, a, not a Supreme Court judge, but a district court judge. It's a, it's a senior judge that uh, grants the police the, the warrant to use it or not. You, 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 I, I guess you don't count a judge. So do you have any formula that, that you, you will satisfy a, a people like you from the academy that I respect so much, I have to say, is, and, and you will be able to say, okay, now it's balanced. So for me, any, any new solution that would um, uh, be put on the table to regulate um, spyware should begin with an with a in-depth discussion about the role of spyware in democratic regimes. I don't think any of the initiatives that are put on the table at the moment even start asking that question. The, the, the discussion begins from the question of um, who should authorize, um, what kind of judge, uh, what kind of legislation, but not the very basic fundamental question about um, the viability of democracies who use spyware as a policing tool. Um, so any regulation that would come afterwards should follow that discussion. And I think we're not having that discussion in Israel, simply uh, because um, when, when people pull the security card, then uh, everyone becomes silent. Yes, maybe because we are uh, trying to protect our lives, but I, I understand fully what you say. And let's, let's talk about the gray area. Uh, that can cause governments in general, and of course the Israeli government in particular, being uh, uh, connected with terror and wars all the time, to, de to uh, deploy measures developed to combat uh, terrorism against civil society. That was the case when uh, the government authorized, I, th I guess it, it was two years ago already, the use of uh, phone surveillance by the police and the Shin Bet, to track people in order to prevent violation of COVID-19 isolation. By, by the way, it was done again, uh, even in the, the current government, but in a, in a, a lot, uh, uh, in a different way, not so uh, extreme. And can you give us other examples of, uh, of a slippery slope and gray area, et cetera? Yeah, um, Israel is the only democratic state that asked its secret services to use tools developed to combat, ter to combat terrorism 
to address a health crisis such as COVID-19. This would be unheard of in other Western democracies. But those who follow Israel's increasing use of state surveillance in past years, such as myself, know that the use of shin bed tracking for contact tracing is not an anomaly. It is a symptom of a recurring pattern. So this is how it works. Israel views technological surveillance as one of the most effective means of controlling the Palestinian uh, population and for combating terrorism. This logic is deeply ingrained in the Israeli political and security elites, and Palestinians today live under severe technological surveillance of each of their movements, actions, communication, including the use of facial recognition systems and other invasive cyber weaponry. The Israeli public accept this logic and is indifferent to questions about the violation of human rights caused by the use of these technologies, which are often developed domestically. These technologies are even considered a national pride and are exported abroad as one of the leading industries representing the startup nation. However, gradually, this logic penetrates how Israel thinks about its own citizens. Whenever there's a new governing crisis, surveillance technology is put on the table as the only solution and is justified as absolutely necessary for security reasons. Israel simply uses these technologies on its citizens without legal authorization as a first step. Then when exposed, and usually after the Supreme Court intervenes, these technologies simply walk in through the main door by creating new legislation that permits them. So I'll name a few examples. Last year, we discovered that the police is using a system called Hawkeye, which captures and identifies vehicles and drivers passing by cameras scattered throughout the country by license plates recognition technology called LPR. After civil society organizations petitioned the high court, the government is currently working on a new legislation that would simply regulate its use, so it's here to stay. Another example, example is the legitimization of voter surveillance technologies. In 2019, 2019, parties began using apps that gather information on voters' political views and track their voting in real time at the ballot without these people's consent or knowledge. The Protection of Privacy Act and the election propaganda law, which regulated the field at the time, were outdated. So they did not address specifically whether such a collection of data is, is permissible and whether it is permissible to transmit by technological means information from the ballot on a person's voting. Despite the public and media storm caused by the use of voter tracking technologies, the number of parties assisted by these uh, applications only increased from one election round to another. And when the new government was formed, the storm uh, subsided. But recently, under the auspices of a long-awaited amendment to the privacy protection law, a clause was introduced that in the very last minute that allows the Privacy Protection Authority to reduce the control of parties' data collection activities during the election period. This will qualify the use of voter tracking systems in the next election. So I can provide more examples on a recent internet censorship bill or on placement of surveillance cameras at voting stations. But I think the pattern is clear that technologies are first used while bending the limits of outdated legislation and are then legalized in retrospect, causing a spiral effect of more and more state surveillance. 
the, the Hawkeye that you spoke about, I, th I think it was the first point. What is it supposed to, to do? What's, what's the system is doing at all? I, so I it, it already does. It's already spread around the country. It's a surveillance system that tracks um, um, license plates. Um, what, what for? So um, to prevent crime, of course. So um, for example, if, if you drove somewhere and you're a suspect of committing a crime, the system would know to track your whereabouts. They would know to um, retrace um, um, where you went. Where, and, and I understand. Just to... I ask you something out of the box. Don't you think... I, and I know you're, you're working for, for our sake and, and uh, you're troubled by, by the, the, the government that is going to know everything about us. We're going to the, the, the big brother, etc. But don't you think that 200 years from now, historians will say, uh, will, will, de will define you and your colleagues as the, the last Japanese soldier that is going out of the woods in 1960, 12 years after the war was ended and shooting at the Americans because <laughs> I, I'm looking at my, my small daughters, uh, not so young daughters, they are 11 and 13. They don't do anything if it's not digital. They, mm -hmm. they, they, they download all the applications with their consent. They want everybody to know what they're doing and they feel, and, and you know, I, I, I remember the first idea of what we called smart city in order to mm -hmm. reduce crime and to put cameras in all, all of the city. Now it's so, uh, it's so low tech because now it's not only cameras, it's cyber. So maybe we are going to, to a period of life or, or a new era where, yes, everything is digital and you don't have, if you have a secret, don't tell it to, to don't use digital in order to, and this is life. You will not be able to block it. This is against the, the, the wind or whatever. What do you say to, to a guy like me that, uh, that uh, yes. Yeah, I guess most people think like you. They, they view it as an imperative. Know. This is just the, the era we live in. And this is why your existence is so important. So don't, don't misunderstand me, but go on. Yeah, well, I, I don't mind being considered a, a naive or, or unrealistic or, or a purist. Um, but um, I think it's 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 a moment for thought. Um, I, you know, like uh, if, if we look at the history of the internet, you know, like the, um, there have been many um, values um, or ethoses that were assigned to new technologies just in the last twenty or or thirty years, and and they change all the time. So if the beginning. Um, new technologies were the markers of progress, of democratization, uh, of modernization, and, and, and you know, creating new opportunities and equalities and peace and, and breaking boundaries. Um, soon we discover that um, we're actually, our history is, is walking in a different or, or even in an op opposite direction where um, the use of digital uh, technologies equals undermining human rights and undermining democracy. So to me, this is a very alarming moment. Of course, the course of history can change. And um, I, I really hope that there would be a counter movement to, to the era where we live now, but I um, simply can't accept um, this as being the modus operandi of humanity in the 21st century. And this you're saying- such an absurd 
let's slow down a little. Let's think about what we are going to, where we are going to, and what we are doing. We are doing to ourselves. Uh, rage Against the Machine. There was a rock band there once that was called. Uh, I, let's say some words about uh, the, the headlines. Many Israelis see uh, NSO, Pegasus, and similar offensive cyber tools as a national asset. You 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 just spoke about it, but uh, from the from this you went to the to uh, to our daily life, and, and not about fighting terror and uh, maybe uh, going to peace, and not just against terrorists and the organized crime. For example, Netanyahu reportedly authorized the sale of such cyberware to countries such as Saudi Arabia, uh, with which Israel wanted to establish uh, diplomatic ties. What's wrong with this? What's uh, the difference between selling spyware and selling deadly Israeli developed uh, missiles, for example, of Rafael or whatever? Uh, uh, are we not talking essentially about the cyberization of the arms trade? So it's the same thing in a different way. It kills less people. Yeah, well, um, I'm, I'm not an, an expert in arms trade. I'm an internet researcher, but I will tell you this. Um, to me, Pegasus is similar to the use of unconventional weapons, such as nuclear weapons or mortar bombs. Unlike its sleek, high-tech image, and just because of the silent ways in which it operates, it is one of the most dangerous weapons that currently exists. It gives its users unrestrained power, which they are used to silently oppress and kill. Just to make the case for how unconventional, uh, unconventional and devastating this use can be, think of this example. So um, would a state leader buy conventional weapons from a foreign country to use them on their own daughter or family member? This has been the case um, with two Dubai princesses and the ex-wife of Dubai's ruler. So would conventional weapons be used to murder journalists and activists to plant incriminating evidence in their phones? This has been the case as we've seen with the Pegasus files um, all, all over the world in so many countries. So in the same way that there are regulations that prohibit the selling of unconventional weapons, International oversight should also regulate the trade of cyber warfare, such as Pegasus. I think we have regulation on it in Israel, but and I think it's 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 an interesting uh, uh, weapon. But don't you think you're exaggerating a little bit when you uh, uh, put it in the same place with a nuclear bomb that can kill tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people? By the way, if you you refer to uh, the journalist Jamal Khashoggi, he was not murdered by uh, Pegasus, and he, they did not need Pegasus. Because he, he invited himself to the consulate, and they had he he initiated the meeting in the consulate. So, by the way, but the NSO shut down the the Pegasus system. It sold to Saudi Arabia because of this incident, and then Netanyahu ordered them to to open it up all over again. But but uh, talking about this and and nuclear bomb in the same uh, uh, you know uh, field or or neighborhood. Comparing it to a nuclear bomb or chemical weapons, isn't it a little bit exaggerated? It does, it, it does not kill people. It gives you information that helps yes, you it does. to, 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 to uh, maybe to stop terror. So um, I'm, I'm talking about the incident with the Mexican uh, independent ah, okay. journalist who used to, you know, uh, report on, on, on state uh, um, 
on, on corruption on Facebook live videos and he was sitting uh, innocently in his hammock uh, somewhere uh, when he was shot by, by, by someone um, because Pegasus uh, had followed him and, and he, he, just what he said was uncomfortable to people. So that was enough to kill him. And, and Pegasus led the way for finding him and, 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 you know, exterminating him. There are so many other examples. This is a weapon that silently, um, it, it, to me, it's just, you know, it's, it's the equivalent of absolute power. And you know, you are not aware who holds that power. It could be state leaders, it could be anyone. It annihilates any agency, any ability to walk about um, anywhere in life, feeling that you are safe. So the comparison to nuclear weaponry is perhaps unjust in terms of scale, but I think in, in what it does in instilling fear and in undermining trust, and in undermining the very foundations of human rights and democracies, yes, I think it's equivalent um, to a very, very dangerous weapon that can undermine democracies and is a threat to humanity. So you also answered. You also answered. You, you also answered my last question because I wanted to ask you if it, it, it undermines democracy and uh, uh, on the long term. So I will, I will, I will uh, replace this question in something that I. Mm -hmm just uh, invented if i will give you an option to to, to push a red button as an internet uh, researcher and uh, if you push the button we are going back to a, a, an internetless world no invention such internet we are going back to talk to each other and look mm -hmm. in the eyes of each other would you go there um difficult I an know. unfair question <laughs> it's an unfair question because um unlike what you might think i really love technology you know I, I i fell in love with the internet and with the opportunities it can bring to humanities and that led me to you know dedicate my scholarly work to to studying this phenomena and i think technology can bring lots of wonderful things to humanity and also to human rights. I just think we're going in a very wrong direction where we equal digital with surveillance and not with other opportunities that the digital technologies can bring, such as increasing participation, oversight, transparency, universal knowledge, all these things that could really um, um, make um, humanity and this globe and even the climate a very better place. Just think concentrating the power of knowledge and of data collection and surveillance in the wrong hands leads humanity to very dark places. I think you came out of it uh, in one piece of this question. <laughs> and you know, as we say always, there is no good without bad. Uh, the world is not, uh, we have a lot to fix here in this world. And I cannot imagine our lives uh, without the, the internet anymore. But I, I don't envy our kids that they are not playing anymore in, outside. They don't talk to each other. They sit uh, together. Everyone is stuck in his cell phone or smartphone. So let's let I don't but I will how not. How do you feel about your kids being monitored at school? that every movement that they do is graded or that there is an external eye that measures their performance 
according to very strict analytics without even asking them how they feel or why they answer the question a specific way. I mean, just applying this logic of-, of Weren't we monitored by, uh, I, I'm, I'm ancient, but you know, we didn't, they did not have digital uh, tools when I was at, at school, but I was monitored. And by the way, my, my, uh, my youngest is in a democratic school. They're not monitored, no grades. And mm-hmm. uh, the the other her sister is in a very 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 unique school, and she focuses uh, in a classical music. So I'm not a good uh, good example. And my elder okay. son is a, is a brain researcher. So so I'll fi- I hope he will find a solution to all of this. I also hope, <laughs> <laughs> Professor Anat Ben David. It was fascinating. I thank you very much for joining us here in uh, on Israel in Al Monitor. And now we'll take a break and come back with some final thoughts after it. Stay with us. Toda raba. Shalom ana. Toda. Thank you very much, Ben. Bye-bye. Hello, I'm Gilles Kepel, professor at Sciences Po and Normal Sup in Paris and author of a number of books and articles on the Middle East. Through my new podcast, Reading the Middle East, on the award-winning media service and monitor, we will take a deep dive into the trends in the region with the authors and thought leaders who are shaping how we think about the Middle East. Reading the Middle East will be a fantastic addition to Al Monitor's outstanding podcast lineup, including On the Middle East with Andrew Paraziliti and Amber Inzaman, and On Israel with Ben Kaspit. You can subscribe on your favorite listening platforms. We look forward to your joining our conversation. Thank you for staying with us. Uh, this was an interesting uh, conversation and we, I think we uh, had a, a chance uh, to, to, to have a glance into the liberal mind talking about uh, this very complicated issue about uh, the, the technology, the ability to collect uh, data through technology tools, the power of the state, uh, the using of these tools uh, between terror and organized crime, and uh, maybe selling uh, merchandise to people. What Professor Ben David said generally is that uh, there's been a, a major change over the past decade uh, in the power balance, uh, maybe a power, ba- power balance shift between the states and the technology channels, uh, and I think when, when she mentioned technology technology channels, she, she, she means networks, uh, uh, social networks like, uh, like uh, of course, uh, Facebook and uh, YouTube and, uh, and all the, the giant uh, uh, companies like Google, and of course, TikTok and Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. And she said that in the past, the states held most of the information and had the most of the ability to control and to collect it, uh, information about the citizens. But the shift of the balanced power in the last uh, maybe decade, decade or two, because of the invention of the internet and all the social networks, now it's, it's shifting towards the tech channels. 
and they're using it in order to uh, to sell us things. And this is maybe you you can accept it, but now when the states, according to Professor Nadben David, wants want to use these tech or technology tools in order to uh, collect the information uh, to their use, either it's fighting terror or organized crime, or maybe uh, trying to uh, to contain COVID-19. This is, according to the liberal uh, point of view, is, can be a slippery slope. And I think the most interesting point, and maybe disagreement between myself and Professor Ben David, was when she uh, said that actually she compared the the web. If we are talking about weapons as uh, like Pegasus, uh, cyber weapons, but it's not only Pegasus. There are many kinds of weapons from this uh, neighborhood. And she compared these weapons to uh, unconventional weapons, like uh, nuclear, biologic, chemical, and I think she went too far. And I think uh, that later on when we discussed it, she, she agreed with me that, that maybe it's too far, but what makes her frightened is the the kind of uh, uh, it's all happening very quietly under the radar, and the very fact that states use these kinds of weapons against citizens uh, secretly, maybe this is the point when she says that we have to stop and think and maybe regroup or reset all the concept of uh, spying of states after the citizens. And another inter interesting thing that she said is that legislation is not a solution. It will be a civil defeat if we, we will go and try to solve it by le legislation. I think she, she was talking about, let's have public discussions, serious, in-depth, thorough, and think how we want to see our life in this era of cyber and the uh, and, uh, blogosphere, etc. I think we only uh, scratched the tip of the iceberg. This is a huge uh, uh, thing to talk about. I think this is one of the major uh, revolutions of this modern uh, era that we live in. And I think uh, some months ago, we had a podcast with the guys from NSO that uh, spoke on the other hand and gave us uh, all the tools to understand the point of view of the people that are trying to get us these tools in order to save lives. Today we heard the other side of the coin. I hope you found it interesting and as usual I hope uh, to find you here next week, next time in Orange Israel and Monitor. I'm Ben Kaspik Tel Aviv. Take care and bye-bye.